Welcome to the Coaching Connection Podcast, brought to you by the Gateway Training Center, the home for all of your life coach training needs. I am Katie Rushton, educator and your trusted friend in the coaching world. I am here to share with you best practices, coaching examples, and tools to help you on your professional coaching journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Coaching Connection Podcast. I'm Katie Rushton, your coach educator, and today I have with me my co-host. That's me, Fred Rushton. Glad to be back, everyone. Glad to have you. To start with, I have a confession. When I designed the Gateway podcast and came up with several ideas for different episodes, I recorded them out of order. I realized that when I uploaded episode 5 last week, that the previous week's episode, where Fred and I demonstrated how to use the principle of elicit, provide, elicit under the umbrella of motivational interviewing, was meant to follow episode 5 and not episode 3. If you are just joining us at episode 6, when you go back, please be sure to listen to episode 5 before you listen to episode 4 so that it makes a little bit more sense. All right, now that we have Katie's confession of her sins out of the way. (laughs) Hardly. (laughs) Let's go ahead and jump into this week's topic which is going to be a deep dive into ethics. This episode is going to have a little bit different structure than we've done in the past. It's going to be an interview. I'm going to act as the interviewer and ask Katie several questions, and she'll be able to share her thoughts in response to my questions. First of all, Katie, would you please give our audience a general overview so that we all start on the same page? Absolutely. A good place to start, I believe, is to introduce some professional coaching bodies so that we have a reference of organizations of where we can go and learn more about ethics within coaching. We have the European Mentoring and Coaching Council, International Coach Federation, known as the ICF, Association for Coaching, Association for Professional Executive Coaching and Supervision, International Association of Coaching, Worldwide Association of Business Coaches, and then we have the Center for Credentialing and Education, known as the CCE, which is the organization that has the certification to become a board certified coach. As the coaching industry continues to grow, Ethical codes provide a foundational structure for professionals. Ethical codes are standards of conduct that define the essentials of honorable behavior in helping relationships. Before I share some of the common themes that you can find in coaching ethics and even ethics across the board, I'm curious, Fred, let's put you on the spot for a moment. What would you say are the three overarching principles of ethical practice. Well, I would say that the best thing to do across the board with ethics, especially in coaching, is being honest, being clear, and always acting in the best interest of the client. I agree. Congratulations, you have passed my first question. In summary, do no harm. 
Remember your duty of care and act in a ways that promote the welfare of others. Know your limits. Practice within the scope of your education and competence. And then respect the interests of the client, the participant, and respect the law. For our community, Fred, the main governing organization is the Center for Credentialing and Education which provides all board certified coaches and future applicants with a code of ethics to honor. I do have more quiz questions if you're ready to stand the test. Hit me. Give me a hard one. Ooh, okay. Fighting talk. Coaching contracts are springboards for setting clear boundaries and expectations. What would you include? What would I include in the coaching contract? I would say, well, there's lots of things, but the potential most important ones would be definition of coaching, the difference between coaching and counseling, confidentiality agreements, and the financial agreement. Yes. Again, A star. Great. (laughs) You mentioned before that the Center for Credentialing and Education has a code of ethics that they have published for those who want to become a board-certified coach. I have that document here in front of me, and I know that you are familiar with it. So I wanted to ask you, first of all, they have a little introduction here at the beginning. What do you think is the biggest takeaway from this introduction? There is some interesting phrasing in the introduction that I would like to highlight And that is that there are BCC certificates and then there are applicants. Part of the introduction reads that the BCC certificates and applicants have the obligation to maintain high standards of integrity and conduct, act in a manner that promotes the welfare and interests of clients, accept responsibility for their actions, act consistent with accepted ethical and legal standards, continually seek to enhance their occupational capabilities, and practice with fairness and honesty. What that means is, if you enroll in a course that is accredited with a CCE, such as ours, for example, you become an applicant to become a board-certified coach if that is you know, part of the journey for you in and reason for taking this course. As an applicant, you have the same obligation as those who are already board certified. Thank you for sharing those thoughts, KD. Going further into this document, there are several different sections with different criteria. The first one is compliance with legal requirements and conduct standards. Now you did mention earlier that that was one of the things common throughout all codes of ethics. Could you expand a little bit further on the laws pertaining to coaching. The first thing to consider here is that coaching is not a regulated industry. There are organizations and professional bodies that I've mentioned already that have ethical codes for coaches to follow, especially if you are associated with that organization. So keep that in mind when you think of the the legal side or legal requirements to coaching It is not a regulated industry. Something that stands out to me here, and even just this month, I I heard a student in one of my classes say that 
to her, what is at the heart of being an ethical coach is integrity. To expound on that, something that I I often think of is that it, it's so wonderful to know that there are hundreds, I hope thousands, <laughs> of coaches that follow an ethical code without even being required to as such. They're required to if you are certified through that organization. Outside of that, though, with having no requirements, it takes somebody with a heart of integrity to choose to follow an ethical code in a profession that is developing and that doesn't have the same regulations as perhaps social work, counseling, other helping relationships. Thank you for that. It is certainly important to know that this is not currently a regulated field. To highlight one of the points in this section, paragraph A6 talks about maintaining records and your notes of, from working with clients. Could you expand a little bit on what they're requiring here? It's simple, really. What is being asked of us as coaches is to take notes and keep our records for five years. The way that I do that is I'm, I'm somewhat old school, and so paper and pen all the way. And I have a filing cabinet where I keep all of my, my notes for each person that I work with. At the end of the year, I scan those notes into my computer, which needs to be password protected. We need to comply as best we can to such laws as being HIPAA compliant, which protects the data of those that we work with. And then I keep the records on my computer for that five year duration. Sounds like a very efficient system. I thank you. The next section, section B, talks about being compliant with the policies and rules that are specific to the Center for Credentialing and Education. Most of this is pretty straightforward, but there are a couple of them that I want to highlight. Number five, for example, is inform and support others such as employees, sponsors, or coaches regarding the responsibilities established by this code. So this is about making sure that those you work with are familiar with what you are attempting to do. And that's part of my responsibility. As I'm training new coaches and working with seasoned coaches in the member zone, part of the gateway, it is important that we revisit coaching ethics often, test ourselves, help each other, increase our awareness, and when we are discussing situations and seeking support from supervision or peer coaches as part of our team, that we have that ethical ear listening to situations where we may need to say, oh, we need to be careful there. That's something that you might want to keep into consideration moving forward. You know, something simple. One of the ethics, I believe, is in section D, is in relation to accepting gifts or significant payments outside of what has been specified in your coaching contract. A new coach might be offered a significant gift or a financial bonus and not realize at first that that is something to avoid. And that is why we have supervision. That is why we have ongoing training to be able to discuss these situations and make sure that we are honoring the best practices that we know as coaches. Thank you. That certainly makes a lot of sense. 
Number six in this section is report an apparent violation of the BCC Code of Ethics by a certificate or an applicant upon a factual basis. With this one, I have a question for you. Somewhat of a case study to see what you would do. All right, hit me with it. <laughs> He's so brave. <laughs> Imagine you are part of a coaching group that meets once a month to share and discuss the work that you are doing. This group is a mix of certified coaches, non-certified coaches, trained coaches, non-trained coaches who specialize in a variety of different niches. This particular meeting that you attend, one of the new coaches raises their hand and talks about blending 10 years worth of history of psychology into educating people as a coach. You're sitting back, you're listening, the discussion is a great discussion, and then somebody who is certified with an organization that has a well-known code of ethics attached to it offers the following advice. Well, I was once in your shoes and I realized that laws and rules are to be broken. I have an invitation for you. Go rogue with me and make up your own rules. Yes, I know I'm certified with this particular organization, but you know what? That doesn't matter. You've got to make up your own rules. You've just witnessed that happen. What would you do? Oh, wow. That's interesting. My first instinct in that situation would be to reach out to that coach and express some of the concerns that popped up for me as I observed that interaction. Really, I don't know if he is actually violating anything. He might just have that attitude within the bounds of what the ethics of that organization are. So I would want to get to know a little bit more about exactly what he is doing within his coaching practice. And that is what I would do too. I would reach out and make a connection to learn more about the person because when he said, and this scenario is based on, on something that I really did here, I believe that he wasn't saying, go rogue, don't worry about the ethics, don't follow them. What he was saying behind his words was that it's okay to blend education and coaching. Section C, I think, contains a lot of really useful information to talk about here. Number two reads, recognize the limitations of coaching practice and qualifications and provide services only when qualified. Certificants and applicants are responsible for determining the limits of their competency based on education, knowledge, skills, experience, credentials, and other relevant considerations. Now, hearing that, Katie, what do you feel is the important thing to note? So much. <laughs> so much. I want to start by drawing your attention to the part that reads, you are responsible for determining the limits of your competency based on your education. Something that I really appreciate about how this particular code is written is that Nobody's going to necessarily tell you this is what you can and can't do. It's on your honor. It's on your integrity. It's up to you to determine 
And I think this is also linked to our level of confidence too, because I know plenty of coaches that hold themselves back when they have degrees, extra training and education, but they just feel like something is missing. And then on the other side of the fence, so to speak, you have people with no training. What's the difference? They believe in themselves. They believe they can help. <laughs> you know, and, and, and fair play. Confidence is a huge part of trusting the price you have paid to gain the education you have, the skill set that you have as a coach, and even any other training that you have participated in that has given you valuable skills to be able to be a coach working with the people that you want to work with. First, it's up to us as coaches to determine our skill set based on, and that's the key, based on our education, skills, and training that we have taken to become coaches. Once you have that self-belief and confidence, it makes it easier to then recognize your limitations. It makes it easier to have the courage to say, thank you for asking me to work with you based on your situation. I'm going to refer you to another coach or a therapist or another form of support that can help that person get what it is that they are looking for. For example, and this is my favorite go-to, I have a colleague who is a grief coach. If somebody wanted to work with me or I was already working with somebody and that need came up, I'm not going to work with them around grief. I could, but I'm not trained the same way as my colleague is. And so I would make that referral. It goes back to that acting in the best interest of the client. Absolutely, yeah. The next paragraph I want to talk about is number six under section C. Obtain a written coaching service agreement before initiating a coaching relationship. This agreement shall include the rights, roles, and responsibilities of the parties involved, as well as the manner in which private information will be protected. What are your thoughts on the importance of having this agreement in place? One thought, keep it simple. It's important. <laughs> I will expound. The least that is asked of us in terms of creating a coaching contract that is binding and signed is listed in that code. The rights, the roles, the responsibilities. Simple. Make sure you know that those that you work with have an understanding of the nature of coaching, what is the difference between coaching and counseling, make sure that they understand the financial agreement, confidentiality, when and where, if you would release or share information, have that on the document, discuss it, and make sure it's signed and dated. I'm not sure it could be any clearer than that. That certainly makes it very straightforward. The next one is something that has already been mentioned a few times through our discussion. This is paragraph number seven. It says, seek supervision from qualified professionals when necessary and provide referrals when unable to provide appropriate assistance to a client as well as when terminating a service relationship. Thinking about supervision specifically, what do you feel that adds to a coach? 
Oh, that's a good question. I would say community, clarity, connection, and a safety net. <laughs> I wasn't sure how to say safety net with the beginning letter of C. Community, because especially with what we provide as part of our membership, is it's all group. Our training is for groups, our supervision is for groups, and our skills lab practice is in groups. That isn't the only option though. There are plenty of coaches in the world, I imagine, <laughs> that are supervisors that train specifically to approach working with coaches differently than if you were to hire a coach. For example, the role of a supervisor is to coach you on your coaching skills. Another part of the role of a coaching supervisor is to mentor and offer education. And that is why for our membership, we break it down into those three areas. We have the training, the supervision, and then the skills practice lab, as I mentioned before. To me, the clarity comes because you have somebody that is able to see what you don't. They can look at your circumstances, your situations, the people that you're working with, the way that you express it. Just like in regular coaching, we can see blind spots that others can't because we're trained to listen in a slightly different manner. Community, clarity, connection. Connection with somebody that is doing something that you're doing. One of the hardest things that you can ever experience in any profession is feeling that, that you're alone, that people don't understand what you're going through. And I'm not saying that we understand 100% because nobody can. But to have that connection with somebody that is in the same industry as you, that you can talk to, that gets it, that's a wonderful gift. Connection, clarity, communication, and then that safety net. Again, the safety net wraps up all of those three C's that I mentioned. The safety net provides a safe space to be able to know that you're not alone and that if you if you do have a situation where you need to make a referral or you don't know what to do, <laughs> then you have somebody to talk to. And that is huge. That's something we often refer to as the silver bullet to make sure you are always covered. That was a phrase coined by one of our great friends and mentors, Dr. Scott Gardner. And he actually has been a huge part within the development of this training course. He is actually the one who started this. And I joined the journey at the very, well, I wouldn't say the beginning, but close to the beginning. And he's just given me the reins and let me go with it. And six years on, here we are. He certainly has been a meaningful part of everything that we do. The final section is section D, which is all about avoidance of conflicts of interest and the appearance of impropriety. The main thing that I want to highlight here is in paragraph three, which states, avoid engaging in multiple relationships with clients or sponsors. In situations where multiple relationships cannot be avoided, certificates and applicants shall discuss the potential effects of the relationships with the affected individuals and shall take reasonable steps to avoid any harm. This discussion should also be noted in the client's record. Now, first of all, what is a multiple relationship? 
a multiple relationship is when you work with somebody that has two roles in your life. So, for example, that would be starting a coaching relationship with someone who is also in your church congregation. Yeah, that's a great example. When it says that in situations where it can't be avoided, what would you say are boundaries that can be put in place to avoid any harm? One of the first boundaries that you want to set is going to be discussing the relationship and the nature of coaching. The person that wants to work with you after learning about how you are a life coach may have some expectations that it's going to be two friends talking and there isn't going to be a formal aspect to the dynamics of the relationship. Therefore, it's really important that you set expectations from the beginning about what coaching is, what coaching isn't. Are they going to pay? What does that look like? The time frame and time management of working with one another. In all honesty, in today's age of technology and how we work with others as coaches utilizing Zoom and other such video programs, if somebody comes up to you that you know and, and asks to, to work with you, make the referral. If they're a close friend or a close acquaintance and is going to get messy, make the referral. Going back to the safety net of supervision and developing and being a part of a community of coaches, there is going to be somebody that could work with that person. I do want to point out that there is a difference between being a new coach and practicing your skills and asking people in your world to help you with that and then being paid for what you do. Once it gets to the point that you don't need to work with your neighbor <laughs> because you want to because you're part of a course and you're practicing skills. Once you have a coaching practice and people are coming to you to work with you, if it's somebody you know and you know them well, make the referral. What I'm hearing is this is about protecting the relationships that we already have. Yes. To add some clarity to what I was saying previously, let's imagine that somebody in your church congregation learns that you are a life coach and asks if they can work with you. If you don't know that person, saying yes to working with them is different to saying yes to a person at church that is a leader that you have. Somebody who watches over you. A mentor. If you start becoming their coach and they share with you information about other people in that community that's when you enter a conflict of interest because you start to learn things that <laughs> you would not know in any other situation. Does that make sense how there's, you need to add context to looking at what constitutes a multiple relationship? Yeah, that certainly makes sense. If I'm hearing correctly, it's really about the, the level in which you interact with the person. Even as in your example, you see them potentially regularly, but you don't really have a personal connection with them. In that instance, it's okay. Whereas if it was someone that always sits next to you on the pew at church and you go and have dinner at their house afterwards, <laughs> that's totally friend. different. Absolutely. 
one of the reasons that this scenario came to my mind is because I know several different prominent coaches that do coach women in their social networks and their belief is it actually enhances their relationship. So you could argue then that there is a level of added connection from the coaching relationship that expands outward. Yes. That's a great lens to be able to understand what we're discussing here. What it comes down to is how well do you know that person in the first place? What role do they have in your world already? And how will entering a coaching relationship change that? That makes total sense. Just having that opportunity to discuss and realize the implications of the relationship. Mm -hmm. There we go. Yeah. In conclusion, we've hit some of the major points that are included in what the Center for Credentialing and Education has included in the ethical requirements of those who either are BCC certified or aspiring to be. I would encourage you also to look deeper into the other organizations that Katie mentioned at the beginning of this podcast and decide if joining any of them would align with your own coaching goals and aspirations. As a reminder, the Coaching Foundations course that we teach through the Gateway is accredited through the Center for Credentialing and Education for those of you who, if you wish, want to go on to become a board-certified coach. The next training course that we have begins in January. For more information, please reach out.